Hello, and welcome to the Above Average Irrelevance podcast. This is episode 25, and today is Wednesday, November 16th. I'm Matt Weaver, and I'm here with Scott Nelson, who's dinging very loudly. I muted my watch and my phone, but I forgot to turn the sound off on my laptop. Hello. So that would clearly be the next feature for continuity, which is universal mute. Oh, if I put one device, yeah, if I put one device in airplane mode, everything in proximity should go silent. Yeah, that'd be handy. Mm. So there we are, predicting the future of Apple Computer. Um, but that's not actually how I want to start. I told start told Scott I was going to start with a complaint, and so here it is. Lay it on me. Uh, earlier, just this evening, uh, I happened to read an article uh, on Apple News. Um, but it was in GQ that was talking about how they were kind of enjoying this new Kiefer Sutherland show called Designated Survivor. Have you read anything about this? I'm aware. I've been told about it. I have not watched it. Okay, so I thought, well, I, you know, uh, I've got some time to kill before Scott and I podcast tonight. I'll, uh, I'll see if I can watch an episode. Good luck with that. Well, it's on ABC. ABC has an app for the iPad Right. And um turns out, like I launched the ABC app and they're like the very top of the page, it's watch every episode of Designated Survivor so far. I'm like, sweet, right? So I start streaming it. Um and I understand it's ABC and uh they're streaming it to me for free, uh and there will be ads during the presentation. I have resigned myself to this, I've accepted it. Um but there was like six ads and they're long yeah and like long segments of ads and it was like four or five times like and I, the same ads repeated i bet I, I don't know i wasn't really watching them but i mean i literally ran out of things to do on my phone like i played all of the games on my phone that i have to play right i i read all of the news i i, <laughs> I would have like, I, I would kind of want to watch more of these episodes, but I'm sure not going to waste my time with ads. Like, I, it's been so long since I've watched regular broadcast TV with ads in it, in any serious way. I mean, I, obviously I watched a lot of um, the World Series, um, but I was drinking, so <laughs> the ads didn't seem to matter as much. Uh, the, <laughs> like, I've really lost my tolerance for watching TV with, you know, 15 minutes of advertising in it. Um, I, I, I kind of found it, like, like it struck me when I finally finished the episode and I, and I got up off the couch. I was like, most people in America, this is what they do. They watch television with ads. In it. I mean, what a tremendous collective waste of time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think of everything that Americans could do if we added up all of the minutes just in a single given week that everybody wastes watching television ads. And let's say we only watch 10% of those ads, right? The, the best 10%. Uh, so that you could be, you know, informed about new stuff that was happening and whatever else. And then you took all of that time that you had remaining and, I don't know, I mean, hell, we could all just go do highway cleanup or something, right? And every walkway and byway and roadway <laughs> in America would be spotless, right? I mean, it... <laughs> I was really kind of floored about um, what's really my own inability to watch television with ads anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's been a couple of years since I've really had to do that because everything comes from Netflix or, you know, you and I are watching Westworld on HBO now. 
I mean, I don't watch ads anymore. Yeah. I actually feel like they're worse in the streaming apps than they are on regular TV because the ad segments are so much longer. Um, like I I watch a few shows or I did. I have a complaint about this too that I'll share with you. I have um, – there's a couple shows I've been watching in the NBC app and it tells you how many seconds left of advertisements you have. And I mean sometimes the – the ad segments are like 120 seconds or like even 160, 180 seconds. Yep. I mean, it's two or three minutes, um, which commercials on regular TV aren't always that long. Like sometimes it's just 90 seconds or I don't know. Maybe I just don't remember watching TV with commercials, but it yeah. seems like really long. And then my other complaint is they show the same ads over and over again. Um, which says to me that they don't have a lot of inventory, a lot of ad inventory, because right. I don't think advertisers really want to advertise in the streaming apps. And so they just like rerun the same ads. And when you see the same ad, this is true on live TV too, but when you see the same ad like three or four times in the space of a 60 minute show, yeah, it's, really, it's a bad one. Right. I mean, that just like, it almost negatively affects the experience of the show that you're watching. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, this is my own, you know, elite elitism here, right? Yeah. Oh, I can't believe people watch TV shows with ads in them. I mean, that <laughs> I realize I'm off. the idiot here, right? But I, I did it today and I was not better for the experience. And I, you know, I'm really, I don't think I'm going to watch any more episodes, <laughs> Of designated survivor. Just wait till it's on Netflix someday. Yeah, I, ABC, so show, ABC shows tend to go to Netflix. So I did go look on iTunes. I thought, well, you know, you can iTunes. You can pay money, right? Like, I understand I'm not paying money, so I have to see ads. Let me find an avenue with which I can pay money and not see ads. Uh, it's nope. three dollars an episode. Yeah, on iTunes, right? So they think uh, was thirty six or thirty nine dollars yeah. or something that they want for the whole season. It's like Can wow. you believe that going on what are we going on, like five or six years that they've been selling TV through iTunes, that the economic model is still so out of whack? Yeah. I mean when it's what, eight dollars or ten dollars a month I don't even know mm-hmm. what it is for for uh Netflix streaming now. I mean it's And it's I think it's ten bucks a month, yeah. Yeah. And uh it's gone up. I think it used to be eight, now it's ten. Yeah, whatever it is, right? So, it's it's not a lot of money. It's certainly a lot less than paying for one show than basically $40. Yeah. It's crazy for, for one TV show. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I suppose they look at it as, you know, there are some people who want it now. And so you pay a premium to get it without ads, without having to wait for it to drift out to Netflix. Yeah. Um, but turns out there's a lot of good TV to watch. So, eh. yeah. So my deal is I was using the NBC app to watch a couple shows on the Apple TV. Yep. And it just has always worked. Right. I very recently, like last week, finally canceled. I had a basic cable subscription, oh, but yeah. the cost of that had gone up a lot and I had to start paying for these digital receivers and I just never use it. So it didn't seem worth paying for it anymore. So I canceled it. Now I go to use the NBC app and it comes up and says your charter subscription does not include the NBC station. So you can't use the NBC app on Apple TV. Yeah. No, I had no idea that it was tied into my cable subscription. Because, I mean, I can get NBC if I would put an uh, antenna up on my house, right? Like, NBC mm-hmm. is a broadcast network. But in order to stream it on Apple TV, because it's coming over my cable provider, I guess, 
you can't unless you have a cable subscription. Which that is... seems kind of like bullcrap to me. Yeah. Uh-uh. So ABC obviously doesn't work that way, or maybe if I tried to use the ABC app on Apple TV, the same thing would happen. Could be. Um, maybe you can only use it on a computer. Yeah, I mean, I have an iPad, iPad, so, you know. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, the state of streaming television is terrible, and everybody already knows this. So, The tragedy is that we've been complaining about this for years and years and years now, and it has gotten no better. And nothing Apple is doing seems to be moving in the direction of making it better, from what I can tell. I think unless they want to start, like, buying companies, <laughs> I don't know that it's going to change. Yeah. But I, I'm not educated enough to understand what the economic realities of that are. Um, but uh, I, I do know that... It's... I mean, the thing is today, you know, like HBO Now is 15 bucks a month, Netflix is 10 bucks a month. Maybe you'd be willing to pay 6 or 8 bucks a month for ABC, but you can't buy a channel like that. Like ABC won't let you pay for a monthly subscription. Why yeah. not? I don't know. Yeah. They should. Yeah. I mean, I pay 6 bucks a month for ABC and 6 bucks a month for NBC. and So if I was going to... Uh, like iTunes even has a section of, you know, TV shows that are ninety nine cents an episode, uh, and I scrolled through it, and a lot of them are, you know, older shows, right? Um, but ninety nine cents an episode feels a lot like what I should be paying for, yeah, for that stuff, right? And the older stuff should be, you know, even less, mm -hmm. right? Or um, Apple should have an Apple TV service that is a Netflix competitor or Apple should just buy Netflix. Right. And then it just kind of comes for free. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. You're going to get back to that argument that, well, once everything's a la carte, you don't realize how expensive everything is going to be once you're paying for it a la carte. I think my particular use case where I would only subscribe to three or four channels, it wouldn't matter. But uh, a lot of people, it probably would once you're paying per channel. So that's always been the argument against it. Maybe. The production costs are too high. Yeah. Um, Have you looked at Sling at all? Did you tell me about that? Somebody told me yes. about subscribing to Sling. Yeah, it's like 20 or 25 bucks a month. They got a couple of different packages. I should look at that. Maybe that would be interesting because there was a big push when The Walking Dead came back and everybody who has essentially canceled their cable since last season of The Walking Dead was desperate to find somewhere to watch it. And the consensus seemed to be... Sling. sling was the best way to do it because AMC uh, is, must be included. Yeah, in one you of can packages. get it on iTunes, but it's like forty five dollars for the season. Yeah, no, not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, there you still you still can't watch it uh, Sunday night at eight p.m. when it airs. Yeah, it's like a you day, get it the next day. day yeah, that's delayed. you're pay, you're paying over forty dollars for the show, and you don't get to watch it the same time as everybody else. It's ridiculous. I know that that's important to you. It's not important to me, but. <sighs> <laughs> All right. Okay, yes, we're done complaining. It it should be, um, you know, it should be able because the show is pre-recorded, right? Like, right. Even if they said it's going to be on a five or ten minute delay, so that you don't accidentally get it early. Okay. I would even be okay if they said we can't publish it until nine o'clock, or you know, until it's done airing on TV because. Sure. If you have some way to rip it and you're going to immediately put it on the torrent so people are going to get it before 
yeah. it's done airing. I understand that. Fine. Publish it at 9 o'clock, not 10 a.m. the next day. All right. I didn't mean to derail us for 10 minutes, but but there it is. So shall we start going through some of this backlog of stuff? Let's do it. All right. So at the top of the list uh, was this New York Times article um, from like uh, five months ago now, right? Um, called The Great Lakes by Ship. And the author rode a barge from one end of the Great Lakes to the other. Um, and this is one of these kind of like great New York Times articles with uh, some, you know, embedded big gifts, right? Yes. <clears throat> and uh, uh, I don't know, it was just a pleasant, kind of interesting read about this uh, unusual journey. So, you know. It was very cool. I don't know if there's a lot to talk about other than, hey, this so, exists, put it in the show notes, go read it. Right. So, I mean, it was this guy who booked passage on a barge that travels through the Great Lakes. It's not, my biggest, and I already told you this, my biggest problem with it is you can't really do this. Like if I wanted to do this tomorrow, it's not like you can go to a website and book a trip. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, when it's available, it seemed like you kind of had to know be in the know in some way, you know, to, to make this happen. It's, um, it's an occasional mode of transportation that's available because it's just when a barge happens to have a couple of rooms available. Right. And they travel on their own schedule. They're not designed to accommodate people. It's designed to accommodate, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, goods, right? So you're just along for the ride whenever they happen to be coming. And it was cool. He talked about interacting with the crew and like encountering the captain and eating in the mess hall. And I mean, yeah. it's not a passenger ship. So you are essentially hanging out with the crew of the ship, which seemed really cool. Right. Um, I've always thought it would be interesting to work on a ship. I never would. I mean, I, it's not really like my Not your of, thing? Well, I'm not. I don't think I'm the kind of guy who works on a barge. Um whether I want to be or not, but this seemed like a great way to experience that. Yeah. I, uh, I've heard of people doing this before, like, uh, some family friends where like a, like a transatlantic ship, yep. you know, they do this with some cargo ships too, when they have available, mm-hmm. um, boarding, uh, that you... would be a little less fun. This had all kinds of great scenery, you know, cause you're going through the great lakes. Yep. If you're going transatlantic, once you hit the ocean, like, Lots of blue sky and blue sea, right? If you're lucky. Yeah. So, uh, there are... You still can cross the Atlantic by boat if you want, right? I mean, I have an aunt and uncle who, uh, in their retirement years, have discovered the fine art of going on cruises. Um, And so, they do not prefer, like, the gigantic, you know, carnival cruise ships, you know, with three swimming pools and stuff like that. They prefer... There are cruise lines that cater to people with slightly smaller ships. You know, it's not a, it's not necessarily a, you know, bring your whole family and the kids can play and you can do whatever. It's, you know, it's more for older adults. Um, but they, they enjoy it, right? And, uh, you know, in addition to the normal, like, up and down the coasts and around the Caribbean cruises, there are... You know, cruises that cross the ocean or um, 
There are even cruises that go all the way around the world if you want and have the time and a not insignificant amount of money. Uh, cool. But yeah, this was a good find. It's I sat <coughs> I sat and read it in a coffee shop, drinking a cup of coffee. Like, it was a very enjoyable read. Yeah. It made me want to get on a boat. Uh, All right. So let's go to the next one. Uh, Apple versus machine learning. Uh, So this is a back channel article. right. Was this uh, Stephen Levy? Yes. Your your Wi-Fi doesn't let me on, so I can't look at the internet. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But... uh, uh, he got to sit, you know, he was Apple's guy to go sit in a room and get a dump from the brains at Apple to talk about, um, like, this article is basically to counter the the prevailing notion that, uh, you know, Amazon and Google are ahead of Apple in this artificial intelligence space, right? Um, and they're saying, eh, it's not really true. We just go about what we do differently than other people. Um, I don't know. What did you think? Was it? Were you convinced? Well, okay. First, I'm going to say about the article itself. I really like Stephen Levy's writing. Yeah. I've read. We've read sh- a book that he's written and some other stuff, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, I read. He wrote that book about um, oh, thinking like Google does in in the Plax. Yeah, I read um, that book. He wrote a cryptography book, like. 20 years ago it was actually a text for one of my computer science classes really yeah okay that i haven't read and i'm not going to but um i like his writing very much i think it's kind of do you think he i mean he has a technology background i guess now that you tell me that he's written a cryptography book i feel like it's odd to pick a journalist to come in and explain your ai strategy to whoa what how else would you do it i don't know i guess if you want a piece written then you need a journalist but it didn't it seemed very like spoon-fed like it's been spoon-fed to stephen levy he's not a machine learning expert no he doesn't know anything about ai no. and he's essentially writing all the glorious things that the apple people told him yes in his two-day briefing yes um so when i read it it made me think, oh, Apple's doing this really cool stuff. But then upon some critical thinking, I don't know that, you know, this is a complete picture. Like if you took somebody who does machine learning at Google and they were sitting in the room the whole time, what do you think they would say about what Apple was telling them? Uh, Well, they would probably ask a whole different series of questions that I'm sure Apple wouldn't answer. Yeah. Because that's not how Apple does it. Right? They told him exactly what they wanted to tell him. Undoubtedly, there are people in the room, because I'm sure there were a bunch of technical people in the room explaining how things work. And there'd be times where, you know, he'd ask a question, they'd be like, "Uh, yeah, we're not talking about that. Right. Right. Why not? Well, because we're not talking about that. Because Apple's very secretive, and that's just how they roll, right? To me, the point of the piece was, look, we're not getting up on stage and telling you all of these brilliant things that AI is going to do one day. We are, however, working very hard to make Siri do all kinds of things. And when we're ready, we'll tell you the new things it can do. But some stuff it can do, and we didn't even tell you about because why do you care? Right? We want you to be delightfully surprised when you... Yeah, I mean, they talked about, you know, when Siri changed its model about how Mm -hmm. it interpreted... uh, you know, the words that you were speaking to her, uh, you know, 
It changed. They didn't say anything, right? It got better. They can quantify it, right? But how does that actually help a regular person? It doesn't. Right. Right. And it, when you think about it, being able to understand what it is that you are saying, you know, in terms of getting the words right, is really just the first step to doing something useful. It's got to understand what you said, and then it's got to know what that means. And the series working hard at that, but it's not there yet. Everyone I know who's got, who has an iPhone, you ask them about Siri, and they're like, oh, I asked Siri this question, and she told me some stupid answer. Right. right. That's the other thing. I'm thinking the whole time I'm reading this and I'm talking about Siri, like the stuff they talked about, um, how the stuff on the watch and how it's deciding, your phone's deciding how to populate your suggested apps list and stuff like that was interesting that I was not aware Right. Um, machine learning stuff was happening on the phone. So that was cool. But all the stuff about Siri, you know, it's hard to read this without having in the back of my mind the whole time. Then why doesn't it work? Why, why doesn't I... it work like I want it to work? Why can't I say? Share my location with Scott. Right. That's all. Oh, <laughs> exactly. That's right. the thing. So I've been starting to play around with Siri on the watch because it's actually very handy when you're driving. Yep. If you can just, you know, click the crown and tell or tell Siri to do something. Well, the other day I tried, first of all, I tried, uh, this was during one of the series games, Show Me the Cup Score, which was amazing. It pulled up this little app. It was cool. It had the team logos and the scores and it told, it said where you were at, what inning we were in and stuff. Um, It was very cool. Worked amazing. Yay, Siri. Then the next thing I said, I was coming to meet you at a bar. The next thing I said was, send Matt my location. Nope. Nope. Um, Use Find My Friends to send Matt my location. Nope. so I'm at my location using Find My Friends, and then finally she said, well, if you get out your iPhone, I can help you use Find My Friends. Yeah, but even on your iPhone, she can't actually do it. Right. Because I've spent 20 minutes trying to get this to happen before. And so it's... something like that that seems so simple. It's an Apple. It's a built-in Apple utility app. Yep. Can't do it. To yep. me, that's a, that's, I mean, that's a perfect use case. They actually do similar type use cases, like one of the text replies is, what's your ETA, or I'm on my way, or other messages. They've basically added features um, to handle the use case of I'm going to meet someone and I need to communicate something to them. So when they were having that discussion around that use case, to me, another obvious thing is send someone my location. Right. From the the watch, no. Can't be done. So a series kind of a mixed bag. I mean, when it works, it's amazing. And then all the times it doesn't work, it's just a big disappointment. It is. Uh, you know, one of the things I haven't tried now that I've moved to iOS 10 is um, I have a an Airport Express connected to the stereo at home, which I use as an AirPlay target to listen to podcasts or music or whatever, um, just, you know, when I'm making dinner or doing the dishes or whatever. And uh, I cannot... Like, you can get Siri to, like, play a podcast or play music. I don't know, at least on iOS 9, I was never able to get her to play it at an AirPlay target. Mm. And I have not tried that yet with iOS 10. I should try that. That It sounds like there were a lot of enhancements to Siri in iOS 10. Yeah. Um, The, you know, Gruber has talked about one of the dangerous parts about Siri, especially when Apple doesn't spend a lot of time 
telling you all the new things that it can do is, you know, if you're like me or you're like most people, you'll try something and it won't work and you'll literally never try it again, right? Like you and I have been banging on this, I want to share my location mm-hmm. thing. Um, so if that randomly started working next week, I mean, I know that that doesn't work. So I'm never going to try it again on my watch, no. Yeah, right. So how would I even know, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I'm willing to try the play music at an AirPlay target again, um, but only because I've moved up iOS. Mm-hmm. And I know that Apple has said, oh, Siri's a lot better on the new version of iOS. But, you know, I don't really know how it's better or what it can right. do, but we'll see. Um but regardless of all of that, I thought the basic article, its basic mission in life was to say, we don't go about publicizing what we do in mm-hmm. the way that our competitors do, but we're doing it. We're working on it and don't think that we're not. And it's as much for investors, mm-hmm. I think, as it is for, um, you know, people out on the internet. So, um, that's and what I thought it was for, and I thought it was successful. It was, and one of the things they talked about at length, which I do think is cool and I really appreciate, is how much of their machine learning work um, and AI work is being done on device. And yes. that's something that's very different from everyone else who's operating in the AI space. Um, and so, I, I like that. And so my, my anecdote for one of the reasons why I totally like that, the Amazon Echo I have in my kitchen. I don't have good Wi-Fi here. Sometimes it loses its connection. The Echo can do nothing, nothing unless it's on Wi-Fi. Um, I might have my phone connected to it because I'm listening to a podcast over the speakers Mm -hmm. and I want to walk away and I say, I won't say her name, but disconnect because I want to disconnect my phone. Uh, The Wi-Fi is gone and she can't disconnect Bluetooth without connecting to the internet to analyze what I'm saying. Yeah. Now there has to be, to me, there has to be a set of keywords that are embedded on the device. I mean, Apple does tons of the voice translation stuff on the device. The difference is, uh, you know, with Apple, you're running a thousand dollar computer to do that work. And the Echo is which, probably like a twenty dollar chip. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the iPhone, especially the newest iPhones, have literally some of the most advanced mobile chips ever and uh, you know the echo probably has a five-year-old embedded chip that they can buy for you know twelve dollars somewhere i mean right how much compute power is really in that device yeah not a lot i'll bet and that was kind of the focus of the article i mean the title is the iBrain is here subtitle and it's already inside your phone and they kept referring to the apple brain that's inside your phone yeah yeah uh, do you have um hey dingus turned on on your phone no I might oh, you have you just have, have a the six. six plus, yeah. I can't do it. Yeah, so I have it turned off on my phone. Um, I've thought about maybe turning it on again and seeing if I like it. Hmm. Um, along these same lines, uh, as I told you the other day, I had an opportunity to set up a printer at a um, at a um, at a club that I belong to um, with Google Cloud Print. Because the printer supports Google Cloud Print and it supports uh, AirPrint, um, and it's just a printer in the in a pseudo public space in this building. And so I was trying to make it. It had to go in for repair, and I was trying to make it accessible to every everyone who might come. Hey, it's apparently time for the cat to be fed. Yep, that's his 
is nine thirty feeding. Okay, and uh, the machine's doing it. I, I have no control. Well, if you, it wouldn't matter because there's no Wi-Fi signal up here anyway for you to control it. So, <laughs> um, and so you know, being an Apple user, right? AirPrint is very easy. Um, not being a heavy Google user, I found CloudPrint to be initially kind of confusing because I couldn't figure out why on earth I would need to connect the printer, you know, in my building in Nowheresville, Minnesota, right, to, like, why do I need to attach it to a Google ID that lives in Google's cloud somewhere, right? And, you know, Google would tell me, oh, it enables, you can print to that printer from anywhere on the network, or, you know, anywhere on the internet. On the internet, yeah. Uh, I don't want to. I only want to when I'm in proximity of the printer. So yeah. send it straight to the printer. Yeah, no, like, totally. Why, how is that even beneficial, right? And then, of course, my conspiracy theories kicked in, right? And it's like it's because Google wants to collect all of the data about everything I'm right. printing. And, of course, you know they're going to read the contents of everything I'm right, printing. Right, so then every document you print is passing through Google servers then, right? Yeah. Right. See, that's a bad idea. <laughs> Apple would never do that. But it, it really highlights the difference in thought process between the two companies, right? Yeah. Because I'm sure the people at Google don't even, it never even occurs to them how how ridiculous that actually yeah. is. Like I was kind of stunned to find when I started reading about it and trying to figure out how to set it up that Google Cloud Print is not, um, you know, I have my Android device and I'm standing near a printer and I just hit the button and it just prints, which mm -hmm. is what AirPrint does, right? right? And it's not that at all. No. Right? The printer has to be registered and then... In order for a random person to come up and do it, it's registered to an account, and I have to set the visibility on that account to anyone with the link, and then I have literally printed out the stupid Google Cloud Print link, um, which I had to run through the shortener, because, of course, the link Google generates is like 4,000 characters long, right? I so bet I had they to shorten it and yeah. then put it... I literally printed it out and taped it to the printer. I mean, this is so ghetto, you can't yeah. even imagine, right? But now there's this... I think the advisable way to do that would have probably been a QR code, and I bet they had some way to do a QR code that then anyone with an Android phone can scan to print. A lot of the people that are in this building are over the age of 40. Oh, so they don't even know what a QR code is. Even if they did, I don't know that they would have anything on their phones to be able to do it. Well, I think Android devices all have, it's called like Google Goggles or something built in that does it. I bet that's on no devices at all. <laughs> I bet you if we took a random survey of the next 10 people we ran into with an Android phone and they we don't said, know how, to scan how would code. you, here's a QR code, tell me, yeah. what do you do with that? None well, of I mean, Google should have an app called Print Printer, essentially, that you bring up and then it says, okay, scan a QR code for the printer you want to print to. I mean, that seems easy. But... Why is it that Apple's AirPrint can just say, print, oh, look, yeah. this printer is living on the network. You want to print to that one? Yes. Yes, please. And it just works. Yeah. You know, they actually mentioned that in the article when they were talking about Apple staffing their AI teams is that generally people who specialize in that field want data and the more data, the better. So, I mean, some people are reluctant to go work at Apple where they care about privacy and they're not willing to just slurp up every bit of data they can. It, it's, yeah, it's going increasingly obvious to me that, um, I'm clearly part of a minority who cares a lot about my privacy. Um, so, of course, I have a podcast available on the Internet for anyone to listen to. Yeah. But, um, 
but most people don't. Yeah. But they don't really have a concept of what it is that they're giving up. Mm-hmm. And even the people that kind of do don't care. I have a lot of friends that are like, oh, yeah, I know. They're reading my email. I don't care. I got nothing to hide. Really. I mean, what if you, like, air printed your taxes? Then essentially, like... Well, if you air printed it, it'd be fine. Or not air printed, but Google Cloud... What do you call it? Cloud print? Google Cloud print. If you Google Cloud printed it. What a terrible name. Yeah. For God's they have, sakes, like, the Microsoft disease of naming now. <laughs> Yeah, but Microsoft would have called it Microsoft AirPrint. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> so I said, man, that's a good name. Let's use it. <laughs> okay. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with Siri. I guess, you know, they're investing. I had something I tried to do. Oh, do you use Siri at all on your Mac, on your computer? I haven't gone to Sierra You're yet. You're not to Sierra yet. Okay. I've been playing around with it I just got to iOS little... 10 yeah. like a week ago, man. I've been playing around with it a little and... There again, I keep kind of trying things that I think maybe Siri will be able to do, um, but it doesn't work. I wish it did more interacting with applications. And like my thing I wanted it to do today is I wanted it to fill in. I was, I had like a, that was like an 18 digit number that I had to enter into a web form. And I was like, oh, I wish I could just read this number and then have Hmm. Siri put it in the web form for me. Well, I could see an integration with Safari where you could tell Siri to type in a number for you, right? I mean... Could you have popped open text edit and dictated to her? Eh, maybe. And then just co- copied and pasted it? Yeah. Would it, that would have been fine. By that time, I mean, I might as well just... Yes, there was probably a way to do it. Obviously, the way wasn't just in Safari. Ask right. Siri to enter a long number into a web form field. There to are... me, that should, see, that should be possible. That would be cool. Like, there are some places, if you get an Apple... You know, an iTunes gift card, you can, as opposed to typing in the the crazy number on the back, you know, you can, in iTunes, when you are, hey, I've got a gift card, I want to add it to my account, it launches the camera. You can take a picture, yeah, yeah. And you can just show it. And I think Amazon is doing that yeah. now, too. Well, that's the way Apple Pay setup works. You just <coughs> um, take a picture of the card. Yeah. So, slowly, it's getting there. Yeah. Should we talk about something happy? All right, let's do it. Nothing's happy. The world sucks. Well, there's this Salisbury, North Carolina oh, town. Yeah. Did, did you read this little article? I did. It's kind of crazy. So I don't know. We got to go deep into it, but I just it was a really interesting piece of history about this little town in North Carolina where a grocery store called um, Food Line, I think it was called, started. Yes. And... The uh, original owners uh, needed to raise some capital, and so they just got out the phone book in this tiny little town, which is full of, you know, I mean, this is kind of a charged term because we just came through the politics, but it's full of a bunch of working class people, right? Mm -hmm. And they just called them up and said, hey, you know, we want to sell you some shares in this grocery store. Um, And they got about half the town to, to buy in, and not huge numbers of shares, right? Like... Small number of shares, a couple hundred bucks, right? This is, what, in the 1950s, I think it was, mm-hmm. when they started. And then, you know, most people got the stock certificates, and they put them in a drawer, and they just got up the next morning and went to work, just like nothing had changed. But then, of course, over 30 years, this grocery store grew and multiplied, and it bought other things, and it got bought, and it it uh, kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until... 
uh, I reached a point where if uh, if any of these original people had spent something ridiculous like $117 or something buying stock. Here's, so $500 ended up being worth $2.5 million. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have to spend very much money until you were a millionaire. But the thing about it is, is while some people in the town knew that they were millionaires, lots of people in the town didn't. And so um, it's all, everybody who has shares it's everybody is known now but there was a long period of time in the 1980s and the early 1990s where lots of people were kind of discovering oh you know my spouse who's been dead for five years bought some of these and i didn't even know right and here i have been living on my social security checks but as it turns out i've actually you know have stock worth three million (laughs) dollars or something like that right and so what's interesting about that is is one of the things that has happened in this town and why this town is kind of remarkable is a lot of the people who have lived there the bulk of their life and ended up having this kind of found wealth used a lot of it to restore the town in a way that it kind of was in their youth. And so it's kind of this preserved little jewel of an idealized history, right? It has you know, yeah. an old movie theater and an old you know, Dairy Queen and whatever these things are that have been preserved because people have been willing to donate money. Yeah, and it seems like... it happen. Yeah, they just kind of like uh, take turns around town giving their millions to some worthy project. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm sure in that town anybody comes up with an idea to restore something or Mm -hmm. build something. It's like what... Who can we find with Food Lion money that, you know, it's... That's willing to give, yeah. Uh, Which is awesome. I mean... It was just a little nugget. Like, I'd, I'd, um, uh, you know, this would be a place, you know, if I'm on a motorcycle trip sometime out out east, that'd be a town that'd be worth Go check it out. riding through for a day. I think what makes it so interesting is having so many affluent people living in such a small town still living small town lives. Right. Is what made the situation so interesting. Yeah. So it has an interesting little story, right? Yeah, it was very cool. Which leads us to the next one that you found from New York Magazine, giving up on technology. Mm-hmm. Right. So we've now spent uh, approximately 30 minutes complaining about technology. <laughs> uh, and so this article was about giving up on it, as it were. Yeah, so this was written by Andrew Sullivan. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I mean, he's a conservative. He's kind of been like a conservative columnist for many years, but... Um, he has a lot different take on things than most conservative columnists, and he's kind of come around over the years um, to or much come more to him. liberal viewpoints. Maybe that's true. Um, but he was in at the very beginning of like the blogging revolution, kind of, and so he was working somewhere where he was pushing out blog posts, you know, multiple times a day, just constantly online, constantly yep. writing, reading, just being, you know, on top of everything. And after doing that for, I don't know, what did he say, like ten years or something, he just got to a point where like he was literally sick. Um, yep, his health deteriorated, right? And so he tried to give it all up, basically. He actually went to, uh, didn't he go to some kind of like a... Oh, yeah, like a monastic retreat almost. Yeah, it seemed like it was almost like um, a clinic or something where you uh, are going through your technology withdrawal. And it was a really interesting perspective. And 
a lot of what he was talking about was giving up that addiction, that information addiction, um, which we've talked about before, which I kind of experience. Everybody kind of experiences always wanting to read something, always wanting to read the news, check Apple News, check Facebook, be on your phone, you know, never wanting to just sit still, always consuming information. Yeah, it's easy to get into that mode. Yeah, and I keep trying to get away from it, and it's so hard um, because ultimately what I say is why. You know, I like consuming information. I like being stimulated all the time. Like, why is that bad? Well, because <laughs> eventually you 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 burn out. The uh, I am wired a little differently than lots of people. Um, it isn't that I don't have an addictive personality. I'm sure that I have my addictions just like anybody else. But the, um, but, you know, like. I'm not a binge watcher of television, right? And you're not normal. And so, you know, like when we were watching Battlestar Galactica, right? Like I, you know, it was really a struggle for you to be like, what do you mean we're only going to watch like two episodes and then be done, right? Um, I cannot just, it is very rare that I can sit down with a book and just read it beginning to end. I just... After a couple hours, I just grow tired of it. Um, I cannot sit down and play video games endlessly. Like, I have lots of friends um, that, uh, you know, can get up on a Saturday morning and start playing video games. And other than, you know, stopping maybe once to eat and go to the bathroom a couple times, like, they'll just, you know, they'll play from 8 o'clock in the morning till 2 a.m., that night, you know, just constantly playing. I, I can't do that. Uh, I have lots of friends that play board games, and they will serially play board games, like one after the other, right? All day long, all weekend long. Um, and I can't do that either. Uh, I like to read the news, and sometimes I kind of get into this, you know, tight loop where I'm constantly checking if something as news come up. But after 30 minutes... You know, 40 minutes, it's done, right? My brain just burns out on it, and I, I stop, right? Like, I I have not been able to find a thing that consumes me to the point where I'm stuck in a loop. The closest I get to it is when I'm working on a really interesting programming problem. Like, I can get sucked into, you know, a logic problem or something you know, writing code and, you know, a whole day can fling by. The hardest part about doing that in a professional environment is there's a bunch of people that want to bother you with their trivial BS, right? But so they get you out of the flow. But um, that's really the only thing that can captivate my attention for truly endless amounts of time. That's just how I am. And I've kind of learned that I must be weird. Yeah, you are. (laughs) No, I think a lot of people are like that. I just think more and more people in modern society are the constant consumption model. And maybe the difference is, like, I've more or less forsaken almost all social media. Um, And we can talk about why, right? I could bore you to tears for all of the reasons why I 
don't like most of it. But the um, it could be that something like Facebook, right, sucks people in because there's always something new coming from somebody different, hmm. right? There's a little zing of of um, energy, you know, of attention, of interest that comes from over here or comes from over there or, uh, you know, some new story to be angry about, <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, some new meme to, to read about. And then right. once it's you've gotten a to simulation, the, yeah, once you've gotten to the end of your Facebook feed and nothing new is coming in, well, you can flip over to Twitter, right? And there's been 10,000 things said in the last two minutes on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And so you can read all of that. And, and then Hacker News and then Google News and then Apple News and then New York Times app. And, yeah. So yeah. like you could kind of jump from thing to thing to thing, but... And then you can play a letterpress and then a, word, <coughs> a words with friends and... Yep. And but it's, uh, I, you know, that stuff doesn't... Good for you. Just, I, I don't know if it's good for me, right? Like, there's a lot of times where people talking about stuff like, oh, you don't know about, you know, whatever this stupid thing is. I'm like, no, I, I don't, right? And You should wear that as a badge of honor, <laughs> especially if it's a TV show well, I mean, for somebody, <laughs> or a meme. <laughs> for somebody who works in technology, um, I feel like it could be bad. Not because it's actually bad, but just because it can be it would perceived, be perceived as being out of the loop, yeah, because you know your thirty something, you know, bosses might be like, "Oh, he's so old and completely out of touch." <laughs> it's like, no, you idiot! I'm just, you know, not concerned by whatever the current crisis on the internet is today, right? Because right. it doesn't actually matter. Which is, I think, you know, what what other people. Right. on the internet have whole blogs about yeah so the interesting thing is you get to the end and i guess first i'll say i was first introduced to andrew sullivan because he was on bill maher's show real time which i've watched from the very beginning and like five or six years ago he was on when it first started he was on regularly like it's yep. a panel <clears throat> panel discussion show okay i've never seen the show um because i live under a rock right um it, he was on regularly and then all of a sudden I realized, you know, I haven't seen him on for a long time. So I think it was during his, like, retraction. You know, he his wasn't detox. writing. He wasn't yeah. blocking. You're right. He was detoxing and having health problems or whatever. And here maybe two or three weeks ago he was on again. And it's the first time I've seen him on there in a long time. Um, and you get to the end of the article. And he talked about how he was good for a long time. And then it starts to creep in again, you know. And he starts... He yep. started writing again, started the information cycle again. Um, and by the end, he's like, you know, it's not as bad as it was, but it, it's like any addiction, <laughs> right? How long are you on the wagon? Yeah. It's um, uh, before, before you fall off. You know, it's something that gave you great pleasure. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of his identity, you know, was wrapped up in being this always on, always connected, always reacting and so what's interesting is um i have i don't know if i had to guess i would say 25 to 30 websites you know blogs um a few of them are news aggregation sites on specific topics right um that i visit uh not every day but generally every day 
And the news aggregation sites, there's always something new, right? And for the most part, I can scroll through the most recent, you know, 20 or 30 headlines or whatever and read a couple of them and don't care about the rest. But uh, a lot of the other blogs that I read, even if I check them every day, they don't write every day. Like a lot of them are, you know, publish two times a month, mm-hmm. maybe once a week, right? And so, you know, I'm like, oh, same as yesterday, you know, close the tab, close the tab, right? I mean, you know, it's my ancient web browsing style, right? I, I don't yeah, care I mean, to use RSS. I was going to say, RSS fixed that very problem you're talking about. I don't view it as a problem. I mean, it was the personal news aggregator. Yeah, I, but... That's neither here nor there, right? But the point is, um, a lot of the things that I choose to read on the internet with some regularity don't publish every day. Like right. places that are publishing something crazy, you know, every 30 seconds, like, you know, The Verge or TechCrunch or something like that, they just make me tired, right? I, you know, I will go read an article on them if something else directs you to it, directs me to it. But I generally don't consider them like first sources simply because I, I don't have the time to sort. Mm. Well, it's not that I don't have the time. I choose not to waste my time sorting through, you know, their internet vomit. I mean, at the end of the day, I know that it's all about, you know, driving clicks and ad impressions and whatever else, right? The economics of the web are, uh, in their own way, just as terrible as the economics of television. But the, um, you know, a lot of these sites would be immeasurably better if in, uh, you know, Steve Jobs' immortal words, if they stop making crap, right? I mean, isn't that what Steve Jobs told, mm-hmm. uh, what, Philip Knight, the CEO of Nike, right? You know, you guys are great. Just stop making the crap. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of sites would be that same way. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. That's just how I'm wired, for better or worse. I also like to take notes on pen and paper. No, that's just crazy talk. Well, that's not always true. I take that back. I was secretary for an organization for a while, so I had to take meeting minutes during the monthly meetings. Uh, Our current secretary uses pen and paper, and I think she's crazy. I used to just type it in, but... When I'm taking notes for myself, you know, as I'm working on code or mm. keeping the grocery list or whatever, I, a lot of that stuff I like to just do with pen and paper. So, I don't know. Do you think you need a detox? Did you um, learn any lessons from him? I didn't. I found it very interesting. I don't, I'm, it's not destroying my life. I don't think I need a detox. I think I could be more mindful about. How would you know if it's destroying um, your life? The only reason he knew is because his doctor told him he was going to die. Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> okay, maybe I need a third-party opinion. <laughs> maybe you're just, you know, chained to the floor like everybody else watching Shadows on the Wall, right? I don't feel like I have a serious problem that's destroying my life. I could stand to be more mindful about it. Um, similar to the way that people, you know, who are... Too addicted to email, waste too much time on email, do that thing where they say, I'm going to check my email at 8 a.m. and I'm going to check it at noon and I'm going to check it at 3 p.m. or something like that. 
I could stand to do a better job with that of a more measured approach to internet surfing. So what if you picked a service and did a fast, like a two day fast? Like if you said, I'm going to spend two days and I'm not going to be on Facebook for those two days. Just imagine all the things I would miss, like super important things in my life. <laughs> it would be a risk you would run. No, I w- I'd miss nothing. A lot of people have been doing that. I know you don't do Facebook, but with the election <coughs> results, um, several people who are good friends of mine have said, I'm just on a break. Um, well, because the problem is, is if you are engaged in Facebook regularly, mm-hmm. people tend to start to communicate with you there mm-hmm. and expect you to be engaging with it regularly. So I might send somebody a message that says, hey, do you want to get together today? Well, if you're not checking it when yeah. you're expected to be checking it, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people I interact with on a semi-regular basis who we've never exchanged cell phone numbers. Like we don't text. We just Facebook message. If I suddenly decided to not do that for two days, you know, I would leave somebody hanging. Uh, So you have to like publish. No, no, No. stop. Right. Well, that's Facebook communication is inherently asynchronous. And so if you are going to get angry at me for not responding quickly enough during an asynchronous communication process, you and only you are at fault for your poor choices in life. You don't think like if I if I texted you and I asked if you wanted to do something and you just didn't respond for two days, you you don't think that's rude? No. Hmm. Now, it would be fair to say, uh, you know, uh, are you okay? Right? Because it would be outside of my normal pattern of behavior. Right. Right. But. If you text me, right, and I don't immediately respond, how can you possibly be angry? I'm not. Right. It's not immediate response. It's two days of silence. That was our premise. So what? Mm. I mean... If you really needed... I mean, technically, your came... scenario, like, if I don't know if you're okay, then what if I send a subsequent text that's like, hey, are you there? And then a third one that said, are you dead? And then I don't hear from you for two days. And you didn't... I think like, it's rude. You didn't bother to call? I. That's what I... Okay. <laughs> Go back to... That's what I'm saying. I own... These are people who I only communicate with through Facebook. I don't know the telephone number. There is no call. Do you feel that you have... Um, that you don't care about them enough not to seek out their phone number or email address or some other way, some alternative means of communication with them? Yeah, I feel like we're beyond the point where you have to ask for everybody's phone number all the time. Huh. If you have an alternate means of communication. But only one. Facebook. Huh. Interesting. I mean, for people who have Messenger on their phone and who use Facebook... All the time. Yeah. They're always available through it. Hmm. I mean, it's the equivalent of text. I would say for many people today, Facebook Messenger is the equivalent of text. Interesting. I, could be. I don't know. I mean, I don't use Facebook. I've tried I mean, to use Facebook use, twice, but I've... I think all the I think all those apps work that way. If you use WhatsApp or 
I don't know. There's several of those. I don't really know them because I've never used any of them. Like group message apps. Mm -hmm. They are the equivalent of text of text messages. Yeah. There's so. a game that I play that um, the all the locals that play this game communicate via GroupMe. Hmm. And I have refused repeatedly for years, literally years, to join GroupMe. Hmm. <laughs> Not going to do it. You're like, well, you want to know what we're doing. Hmm. Okay. I don't need you to be happy. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean... So, right. I mean, that's... Another case in point right there. I mean, it's a personal choice. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I, it's a I choice do not... I don't want to make. Why not? So The world doesn't end. Just because I don't talk to you for two days doesn't mean anything bad has happened, mm -hmm. right? I mean, in one isolated case, no. It's not a big deal. I'm not yeah. trying to act like it's a big deal. Right. I'm saying, like, on on the whole, if you just don't respond to people for days on end, that's a social problem. Um, it, it, for me and my friends. Well, so if, um, yeah, I don't know that I can get there. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, no, mm -hmm. it's not my job. It's not my responsibility to answer in a timely manner. Um, every bit of asynchronous communication that comes my way. Sorry, it's just not, right? Because I have to do what's right for me, right? Just as you've got to do what's right for you. And so if what's right for you is cutting down on Facebook to make room in your life for something else, then people who can only communicate with you through Facebook are going to have to suffer the consequence of that. Now, maybe there are a certain number of people on Facebook for whom... Even cutting out Facebook does not mean that you want to cut out communication with them. In which case, perhaps it is your responsibility to then Find seek out alternate means. some alternative right. way to communicate with them. Um, but the, the downside of something like Facebook is it comes with a lot of baggage. Right? Twitter is this exact same way. I mean... In a lot of ways on Twitter, you can communicate with people that you would never otherwise be able to communicate with. Um, but it comes with a lot of baggage, right? There's a lot of things coming at you on Twitter. Uh, and there's a lot of things coming at you on Facebook. And so, um, you know, the those things have a real cost. And it's a burden to the communication. The one thing I like about text messaging is there's no ads, <laughs> right? I mean, um, you know, I can send you an Apple message, right? An iMessage, and it's just a little blue bubble, and that's all there is to it. You know, it's not my thoughts wrapped up around some Viagra commercial. Right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I will grant you... Your friends might be um, confused if your pattern of behavior changes, right? Mm. And maybe you owe them an explanation. Um, but I still don't contend that, you know, you're somehow on the hook. You're not. And maybe that's the difference why um, 
I don't appear to have this I'm addicted to the internet problem mm. that other people have because I'm willing to throw everybody overboard, right? I mean, lots of my mm. close friends, right? People who have my home address, they come to my house, they drink my booze, you know, they have my phone number, right? We exchange Christmas cards. Like, they plan whole things with everybody else, all of our mutual friends on Facebook. And then sometimes after the fact... And sometimes, like a day before, one of them was like, oh, Matt, we forgot. You're not on Facebook. Are you totally coming to this huge thing that we've been right. planning for weeks? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I don't even know anything about it. Right? And sometimes I can go and sometimes I can't. And they're like, how come you're not on Facebook? You know, Facebook comes at a cost. Mm-hmm. Cost I'm not willing to pay. Right? The consequence is sometimes I miss things like this. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, each person has to make their own choice. You can make that choice, and you got to make the choice for you. You don't have to enrich Mark Zuckerberg along the way. Yeah. Scott has that contemplative look in his mind. I think I've said all I have to say at this moment. Well, then let's talk about something really important. Oh, do, skip the next one. I haven't read that. Oh. But it's really important. Well, it'll have to... Um, it'll have to wait. It'll, it's like a tease. We'll talk about the really important thing. <laughs> then the let's get to something that's not important. This presidential digital transition. Oh, yeah. Which is fascinating. Um, but it's kind of like when you read through it. So, first off, this is an article about um, President Obama has been the first president to have a Twitter account. Was it just Twitter or were there other things? It was other things. Um, yeah. It was a Facebook account, Flickr. Right. So there's been a bunch several, of yeah. presidential social media accounts. And uh, because it's the White House, they can get these services to effectively provide a, you know, a way to archive all of this stuff for the presidential record keeping and create new accounts for the next president. Yep. Uh, which will be uh, your favorite individual, Donald Trump. Trump, Trump, Trump. So uh, <laughs> so it is kind of an interesting thing. But when I read through it, I was like, oh, well, I mean, it's great that we're doing this. But it's kind of like exactly how it should work. Like it was one of those things right. I read and it was like, Wow. Like, the world actually works how it should right. work. Like, this happens sometimes. So this article is actually on Whitehouse.gov. So, I mean, this is the official, this is the first time that they've had to come up with a digital media transition strategy yep. for a, you know, government. For an outgoing president, right? Yes. Um, so it was pretty interesting. I mean, most of it just involves creating second accounts that either have Obama or um, 44 mm-hmm. In the username somehow, transferring all the content to that new account, and then leaving the old account empty, right, um, with no content for the incoming president. I can only guess that that's a non-trivial operation for lots of these things. Yeah, it's interesting because some of the things it's easy. I mean, anyone can change their Twitter handle, and everything, all your content transfers with the change. So just assuming, I mean, the only problem would be, I mean... It, handle reservation. Right? right. When you yeah. drop 
POTUS because you're changing it to POTUS 44 for a moment, POTUS is available that somebody else could snap it up. I'm sure there's assistance coming from Twitter to make sure, you know, that that is impossible. Yep. But you as an individual could do the exact same thing. And that's the only risk you would run from the way I understand it is momentarily that handle is yes out in the ether um, before you pick it back up under another yeah. email. But that's probably not true for everything. That's not true. Most of these services, they're having, I'm sure they're having some special special concierge assistants from yep. the companies to, to do, do the transfer. And I mean, I mean, you you understand as well as I do. It's just running a bunch of SQL statements, probably. Um, it's Maybe. just a bunch of database stuff, right? Changing IDs. Yeah. It, well, and it depends on the nature so. of their data and... Did Maybe somebody, shifting stuff yeah. from one server to another. I don't know. Uh, on the back end, I'm sure it's it's running a script. We know it's just running a script, probably. Yeah, that, um, I think that trivializes it more than it might actually be, though. It, it could be. It's not a hard problem to solve. It's just something that isn't built into the feature set of right. a lot of these. I imagine networks. for a lot of things, especially something like Facebook, like it's a sprawling mass of data all over, you know everything right it, i'm sure their i'm sure their data is just a mess hmm. all over the place right all held together by this id and now we're going to change it right but um my guess is it's a mess in some places yeah just because the code is old and has been rewritten 47 times and there's that one patch that jed put in that yeah. <laughs> you know was terrible code but we lived with it and now it's right. coming back to bite us i mean and, you know so i'm sure what they're going to do is this time around they're going to have to maybe do it by hand and work on writing some you know automated way to do it in the future and then when they have to do it again in four or eight years then they'll just have a process in place for doing it. Uh, to be honest, like that the president gets to do it, you know, undoubtedly whenever the next prime minister of Great Britain does it, they're going to be like, hey, we want this too. Sure. You know, same for yep. all the major world leaders who in one form or another are going to come to social media, um, you know, one way or another. So. Yep. And it also covered how... Um, everything is being archived, you know, to go into the national archives and how it was going to be stored and stuff. And yeah, um, I thought it was a very interesting article. No, it is. It was a good, a good thing. Uh, did you read the security design thing? I did. And, uh, all right. So the basic argument here is, um, we've designed computer security to place the burden on the user. And uh, that's terrible, right? Like, nothing else is designed that way. <laughs> so uh, why do we do that? Like, why do we as computer scientists, you know, seem surprised when we've required users to do the hard work of security and then they screw it up or, or choose not to do it, right? It's kind of true. Right. Um, you know, and it's interesting, the, the first anecdote they start out with is how you <coughs> have to be concerned about plugging in a USB, an unknown USB stick because of the auto run feature in Windows that can automatically run something. Right. I mean, you talk about, so then the onus is on the user, right? You need to mm -hmm. know, you need to know the chain of custody of this USB stick before you plug it into your computer. 
because yep. who knows what's going to run. And they talked about uh, security researchers who, you know, leave them laying out, yeah, you know, out in on the sidewalk or whatever, as if it's lost to see if somebody goes and puts it in their computer and then it runs something that you know gives them information yep. about what the user had done. And I mean, that's a real thing. It is. <laughs> I actually, when I was hiking in a local park area this a couple months ago. Uh, with a friend, we came across a USB stick that was laying like in the path. This is out, out, you know, in a in a in city a park area. in a wooded yeah. area. And so, I mean, I we picked it up and to turn it in to the like ranger office or whatever you call it. Right. But they weren't open at the time, so I had it in my possession for like twenty four hours, and I really wanted to see what was on it, but I've never plugged it into any any device I own. No. So. No. I mean, so I didn't. And we took, if you had an air computer day. or something that you didn't care Maybe, about. Maybe, or if you had a Chromebook, but I don't even know if you can access a USB stick from a Chromebook. Um, but you can't on a new MacBook Pro. Well, that's for They're sure. They're to that stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's a real thing, and that is the dumbest thing that I'm. We live in a world where you can't plug in a you know a USB stick because you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Like that's crazy. Who designed that? I mean, auto run shouldn't even be a thing on an external device like that. Well, it was designed by people who assumed no bad actors. Right. And it's incredibly convenient to plug it in and just have something start up. Right. Which is bad terrorists. Uh, so the thing I wrote here is name one security thing you think is dumb. So I have one. Do you have one? Did you think of one thing that... No, I didn't. Maybe I'll come up with something while you're talking. Um... So I have uh, I have several financial institutions that I deal with, as most people do. And so uh, one of them, a bank that I deal with irregularly, um, I logged into their website the other day, and it's uh, there's no explanation of why, right? But I logged in as like you must immediately change your password. Whoa, right? Like. Was there an email I missed? Maybe there was a Facebook post I didn't see, right? Um, I mean, was the bank hacked? I mean, that's literally what I thought, right? Like, the, mm. the, the tone of this whole thing was, you got to change your password right now. And so, you know, being who I am, of course, I keep all of this crap in one password, so... I, you know, I loaded up one password and hit the button and generated a new one and in it went and we were fine. And then everything appeared to be normal. There was like no explanation of what was going on. It's like, man, that's bizarre. Now I'm really concerned, right? So I emailed them. I emailed the customer support. When I finished what I had to do and, you know, none of my money appeared to be missing. Uh, and so I emailed them. I'm like... You know, hey, that made me change my password. You know, what's up with that, right? And they're like, oh, it's just a security measure. You know, we make everybody change their passwords every, I don't know, 90 days or 180 days or whatever it is. Um, you know, it's part of, um, you know, good security practice, right? I mean, there's some, like the response I got back was clearly some sort of canned response yeah. that was designed to make me feel better. But of course... It never makes me feel better because I know how a lot of this stuff works. And mm -hmm. so, um, I, you know, I kind of like I lost my mind a little bit. Right. Like I sent them back. 
an email, right, in their system, which limited me to X number of characters, by the way, right? Um, I don't know that that applies. But, um, and I basically said, you know, you have demonstrated to me your ignorance. You tried to make me feel better, and you made me feel worse, right? Um, you guys are not following the best security practice, right? Uh, and I even sent them a link to the most recently updated like federal information processing computer security guidelines <laughs> that tells you not to do the stupidity that they just did, right? And, you know, I made this argument that basically said, you're trying to make me feel better. You make me feel worse. You guys are dumb, and you don't even know that you're dumb. And you're running my bank, right? Like, mm. you know, it's the proverbial pull your head out of your butt and learn something. Um, because it isn't whether or not my password has been changed. It's whether or not has my password been compromised and is my password any good, right? Uh, and they could require that to be the case, but they don't because they're dumb. And they're like, oh, making everybody have a good password is hard. Right. Then these people don't deserve to bank on the internet. So they're making, I think, I mean, the root of that is probably they're making that common assumption that people reuse the same password on every site, and then when another site is hacked, now your password is out in the wild. Yes, but I don't. And, but you don't, exactly. That's... Right. right. I mean, I understand what they're trying to do, and they're idiots. Mm. Right? Absolute idiots. There are lots of things I will yeah. say that I shouldn't say. So, so did they ever respond to your second message? I haven't logged your... in. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. Okay. It's not like I get an email. Oh, that's stuff. right. That's even better. So it's like secure messaging through the site. Which you know damn well isn't actually secure. No. I hate that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay. So I got a couple of things. These aren't really quite at that level of security It infuriates but... me because the one place that I really want... Like, there are two places on the internet that you instinctively really want to have really good security. Uh, one is your email account, because that's your golden key, mm -hmm. your master key. And two is your financial institutions, because that's your money. Mm -hmm. That's it, right? So those two should get it right if anybody's going to. Right. And clearly my bank... Doesn't. And most banks don't. Yeah, you know, I never understood... I guess I don't want to go down this whole tangent, but... A couple years ago, pe people started doing that security image thing. And, like, if you don't see the image you've chosen, then don't log in. Yeah. I've never understood what the point of that is or how that works. Part of it is... It seems to have gone out of fashion because it, this is a few years back yeah. and only a few places did it. And then, I mean, to this day, in my banking website, I see a glass of orange juice when I'm logging in because that's the image Because we bank at the fixed. same bank, so I have similar image to Right, but it's dumb. It is dumb. I think the theory behind that was people would type in the URL and get it close, but not identical, but they wouldn't be able to tell. And so somebody would replicate the site that would look like it's your bank's site. So you would just type in your username and password, da 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 da, okay. and away it would go. Um, and they would steal your credentials, and then they'd go take your money. Right. And so I by having by having the site serve something that only you know that's different for every user 
The theory is right. that one of these clone sites wouldn't be able to have that information. Of course, that's been easily defeated because the clone sites literally just actually go make the request to the actual site, pull back the data, and reformat it and show it to you. Right. And so they're still skimming your credentials yeah. and showing you your image because they just went and requested it and pulled it right. back. Right. And most people wouldn't even notice you know, the extra processing time involved because yeah. most people's internet connections are so terrible anyway. Right? So that's like, probably why that never went anywhere because it doesn't right. do anything. Well, it stops, you know, terrible hackers, right? Yeah. But a motivated hacker can clearly do it anyway, yeah. right? Okay, so my first terrible thing, I have a very common first name and last name, and my email account is Your first a name combination maybe. of my yeah. first name and last name at Gmail. Okay, so um, I very, very frequently get emails of people creating accounts with my email address. Yes. And so that's one thing this article mentioned is the fallback to email is not great security either. No. So any service that requires you to create an account using your email and doesn't require you to verify the email right. is doing it wrong. Yes. Because this happens all the time where I will have this happen <laughs> and then this person, you know, so usually it's dating sites or somebody sent it with Pinterest. This person will go on using that account because they can log in with their user ID and password, right. but it's tied to my email. And then, so then I'm getting all these notifications and stuff. Well, on some occasions I've emailed places and been like, you know, this has the wrong email address associated. Can you fix it? Usually these like, you know, internet companies, they don't have customer service. Nobody ever responds. Nobody ever fixes anything. Nope. The only way for me to really make it stop is to reset the password, log in, and change the email address to something that isn't mine. Right. Um, so companies that allow you to have an account be backed up by an email address but don't verify the email address. Is dumb. That is really bad. Yeah. Um, and I know this firsthand that it happens all the time. And my <laughs> other problem with that is... So when I use my email address, I always have a dot between first and last. That's just how I originally created it. Yep. Gmail technically strips out the dots so you mm -hmm. don't have to use them. Mm -hmm. Nine out of ten times when the account is from that somebody else did it, the dot isn't there. Right. And probably 99% of the spam that I get comes to the address without the dot. And I know a lot of that is right. people using that address you know, when it's not theirs. The lesson I have taken from your plight is an email address that is, you know, your name, effectively, because your email address is your name, uh, is terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's cool, like, in the way that having, you know, a one-letter Twitter handle is right. cool, but it's terrible in the... Everybody wants it, and people can guess it. Like, it's, it's too guessable. I mean, at the end of the day, it would be nice if address books were good enough that my email address could literally be a randomly generated right. you know, user ID, and it would just end up in people's address books, and you wouldn't even know what it was, because it'd right. be some string of, like, 50 randomly generated mm -hmm. characters that nobody would guess. And the thing is, we're not there yet. And the one reason when it's, I think it's really handy to have the address that I do is when you're giving it to someone over the phone, um, giving information for some reason, I suppose you probably don't do this. I end up giving my email address 
No, I have to give it over the phone. With a certain over the phone quite a bit. Yeah. And usually I've already given my first and last name. So then when I say it, I don't feel the need to spell it out or anything because they already have gotten those two strings from yeah. me. And so then when I say, you know, last name dot first name at gmail.com, you know, the, yeah. there's no confusion about it. If my email address were, <coughs> you know, uh, Coca-Cola 87... 50 or something you know there's this new confusion of did we get the email address right like it's not obvious uh, the um, um, what it is for them so it is harder for me to give up my email address though my success rate of getting people to know what my email address is is pretty good okay but you know as you know my email is not something impossible it's just it's not discernible from your name right yeah. and so um the uh what the reality is I mean, if I'm on the phone with somebody, you're like, can I have your email address? I should just be able to, like, hit a button. Bam. Yeah. There you go. Right? And it'll either go to their cell phone and pop up, or their PBX system should just take the data. Right? Yeah. I've shared with you, you know, my name, my phone number, and my email address. And shrink, suck it in. Like, that seems like a solvable problem. But, yeah. Um, it'll probably never be solved. Okay, and then my second thing that kind of drives me crazy, and I've had this happen a couple times, when, uh, you know, they ask you to enter those stupid security questions and answers, like, what's your favorite yeah. movie, what's your first dog's name, whatever, then have you ever called somewhere and had them ask you the answer to one of those questions? Uh, probably. Um, I, there, our cable company in town here particularly does that, and the question is, what's your favorite movie? And it's, I mean, it's a movie that I, it's probably not my favorite movie anymore, but a movie that I had picked, you know, 10 years ago. And then I just feel dumb saying it on to someone over the phone because when I created that question, you never think, oh, I'm going to have to say this, speak this to somebody over the phone someday. I lie. Um, if the question is, what's your favorite movie? My answer would be something like LaFroig. But then you have to remember it later to it's enter It's in my it. 1Password. Oh, okay. This is prior to using 1Password. That's actually a good call now to put it in 1Password. Right. So I put in something... Um, that does not actually answer the question, right? What's your mother's maiden name? Yeah. Right? That's terrible. People can guess that. Right? right. So if that's the question, you know, my answer would be Fritz, which is the name yeah. of your cat, right? I don't know, right? I'm just making stuff up, right? But it's not, it's always the wrong thing. Yeah, I just always kind of feel when I'm entering those security question answers, there isn't somebody on the other end reading them, but there is, but apparently. But there is, yeah. Um, so ever since then, now I've been kind of careful about what those answers are because I might have to speak it aloud to someone. You know, on I wonder. The telephone, the, like you know, the new MacBook Pros have the fingerprint reader in them, right? Like my phone does. I wonder if you could imagine some sort of um, you know identity based system so that. You know, when I call the credit card company or my bank or this stupid cable company or whatever else, and they're like, oh, you know, we need to verify who you are, you know, thumbprint done. Right. I mean, it's conceivable they could get you in a web session of some sort. Um, well, why wouldn't the tokenization system that they currently use mm -hmm. for credit card transactions just work? I mean, the generated token can travel over the Internet in mm -hmm. the open. Right. I mean, it effectively does on the payment transport network anyway, because the security right. So that's the thing. I mean, they have to just establish some sort of session with you where you can send them the right credential. Yeah, and so sign yeah. me up. Then I mean, I guess you'd say, well, what if you lose your phone, and then how would yeah. we do it? And 
but you know. I mean, the way Apple started to, the way they've allowed you to use Apple Pay and Safari is kind of a first step down that path. Yeah. Um, I mean, I uh, when you think about it, there are relatively few passwords that I remember. Um, you know, I remember the code to get into my phone. I remember my iTunes password, my Apple ID password, because Apple makes you enter it Mm -hmm. a gazillion times. Um, And I remember the password to my computer. Um, My one password file is in Dropbox. My password for Dropbox is in one password. I don't know what it is, right? So you should probably print that out somewhere. Uh, maybe, but even if it's printed out, it's going to live in my house. So if my house burns down and every computer device I have is gone, I'd be in trouble. Hmm. Right? It, it'd be hard for me to get the data again. You know, I have offsite backups. That seems like an odd thing for someone who's so careful. <coughs> Backing up and security. Um, well, I have off-site backups, yeah. right? But, you know, the passwords to get into those things are in my one password. Right. It's an interesting so question. I w- yeah, I would say Dropbox is your final login gate. So maybe the answer um, is I need to print out, like you can imagine eight or ten passwords that you need. You know, email account, Dropbox. Oh, I know my one password password. Right, um, you know, you need a few passwords. You should print those out and maybe put them in a secure storage, like your bank's uh, safe deposit box or something yeah. like that. Hmm. Maybe I've given myself a task for next week. Anyway, I think we've talked enough. Probably, and we've not talked about. Oh man, we got to save stuff for next time. Really. Amazing, incredible things. Believe me. It's going to be terrific. <laughs> Next time I want to talk about your Apple Watch. Yeah, you, we're going to get an on that. we got to talk yeah. about the new MacBook Touch, uh, Touch Bar, all kinds of stuff. I'm, I'm coming around on that thing. Well, you can have more time to think about it. Until next time. See you, man.